where you know you can get gas you can take your vehicle um whereas these villages are just just at the time were very difficult to get to uh even if you wanted to just getting the gasoline to be able to make it out there and back to Trinity was not easy um so when we went what what, what we experienced what like you know, i experienced was total surprise by people that they were like what are you know what are you doing here you know you're a foreign reporter like just they they were not expecting people were not expecting reports so when i talked to this um this we had already talked to like people in like five or six villages and now we roll up to this one and everyone's just buying coca-cola at a, like a little truck that comes by with like water and coca-cola and candy and they're all you know we're talking to different villagers about like their experiences and this man's like uh yeah yeah my two brothers were shot and you know, i was very live with them and he's just like like takes a sip of coca-cola and like just goes quiet and like lets other people talk and i'm just like wait what you know like wait like and it to him it was just like yeah do you want to hear about it and i was like yes i would yes i would like to hear that story and he was like yeah no i'll tell you um and so he told me in this way of like like it was almost like if you want to know i'll tell you um and 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 i think it was because nobody was expecting like journalists to come up there and talk to them about this and so that was my that was my um that was my initial kind of read on it as we spent the whole day with him and the more we kept looking around for the russian bases where he was like the russian base where he was tortured you know it took a long time to to find one uh to find it uh i could see that like the initial like polite like yes i'll tell you this what happened to me that you know that went away and he really was just like okay so you guys are as interested in finding my brothers as me cool cuz like i i want i want to find them like this is important um and you know and and yeah that that was kind of the experience i mean uh it was very fresh i mean russians had left less than a week earlier i mean and so it was like russian occupation now back to ukraine and then here's this foreign reporter being like what just happened for the last month and so it was like i i'm not sure he had totally processed everything um and just you know talking to reporters and going to look for the graves of your brothers it's just a surreal experience anyway um so yeah that was kind of that was kind of my read on on that whole situation thank you um thank you jj did you have a follow up i believe uh well thank you for your question jj um uh, just to build up on that so how does it like feel in those villages after russians have been pushed back i i understand that the population has been traumatized so but still is there like a lingering hatred uh indignation what are the feelings that people express or they're just uh at that point trying to to be left alone and uh, trying to cope with what happened so so when it was when i first went up there uh what, during the, for this story um the the overwhelming uh like opinion like the the mean opinion like the the majority opinion um was fear a lot of people told me that they were uh what look and when i say told me they told the translator who told me right so let's just get that out of the way right now i don't speak the language it's always through a translator but they they told me uh that they were afraid that the russians would return and their logic was pretty sound that like uh belarus was just like less than an hour away what's to stop them from coming back a lot of people were telling me like hey look i'll tell you what happened but like don't show my face or um hey can you not use my name or like um we would like to tell you the story um and we would like like because i'm american they would say like we would like for like america to like send more weapons cuz we don't want them to come back you know so there was a lot of that i mean a lot of fear and uh 
and there was, you know, people had courage to tell the stories. Like I remember one family, um, like this was like a really, this was a really, I, I'm going to tell the story, but just know that like, I feel bad about it still. We drove up to a, a home. Uh, we didn't know the homeowners, but another village, another a villager from a different village had told us, Hey, go to this one. Their two sons were killed. Um, you should go talk to them. So we said, okay. And we drove and we, we see two grandparents kind of sitting there and we're like, Hey, I'm uh, sorry. We were looking for a family who, you know, their two sons died and, and immediately the grandma just starts bursting into tears and, and we're just like, Oh no. And the, the grandfather was like, yeah, that's, that's, that's our grandchildren. Uh, and we're just like, you know, we instantly regret what we just did. Like we, 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 after that, we changed the way we do things. We were, you know, we don't approach situations like that anymore, but when that happened, we kind of gave it pause. And then the grandma and the, the, one of the granddaughters came out and was like, no, like we, we do want to tell you the story. Come on, like c come inside. And she, the, the, one of the granddaughters pulled out like clothes that the, the brothers had worn the day they were killed. Um, uh, they were killed in the village when a column of Russian tanks came in and the boys froze up, didn't move. And one of the friends they were with got scared and started running. And the Russian tank driver just opened up on all of them. Um, and the two boys, uh, uh, died uh, uh, hours after they, they had wounds that they couldn't survive. This family showed us the clothing. They they went into their they went into their backyard and took out more clothing. Um, the grandmother showed us like a like a high school yearbook that she said like, you know he want you know one of the sons wanted me to have this and look how you know look how like strong and you know handsome they look and she was crying showing us this and and I, I was with Justin Yao. And this was incredibly difficult for me, him, our, our translator. I mean, we, we, we felt like, okay, in this moment, um, like, like, I'll be honest, like that grandma reminded me of my grandma, like Mexican grandmas are very similar to, you know, to babushkas. It's very similar kind of strong grandma, you know, you respect the grandma. It's very similar. So she reminded me a lot of my grandma and I, we, we were all basically like, ready to cry and we call all had to kind of remind ourselves like you know we're here not for us like she's not telling the story for me like for my own like you know self knowledge like i don't matter here right i am here to be a conduit so that the world can see this and if i'm not doing that then i'm putting her through this for nothing just for me you know and that is that is not professional it's and it's also just bad form like and so i i i had to snap myself into work mode and continue to you know record her, uh, you know, and it feels, it feels honestly, um, a little like a dehumanizing or not dehumanizing, but it feels a little like removed from humanity to just be recording somebody while they're crying and talking about their loved one dying. It feels just very bad, but you know, you have to remind yourself that like, I'm not here for me. I'm here to pass this information on so that other people can see what happened here. And, um, and, uh, and at the end of all that, you know, the, the families were, were, happy that uh that like we cared and i just thought like well you know anybody would care about this and 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 yeah and it was a very tough scenario it was a very tough situation but um uh, there was a there was a lot of that thank you sergio um just a brief question um how we have heard a lot of stories that russians are using civilians some kind of a as hostages and they're keeping them as hostages using them as a shield of sorts. Have you witnessed or heard the stories about that 
when you were specifically in those areas. Yeah, of course. In, in, in some of the villages I visited, they would they would tell us exactly that. They would say they put their artillery here. They put like uh, different like um, equipment here because and then and I'd hear from like, you know, the local like city, like mayors and stuff like that, uh, that uh, that it was a it's a, a common tactic that Ukraine does not like, you know, firing on its own people. So, you know, Russian forces, you know, in a clever but obviously, you know, not, you know, against the rules of international warfare, you know, place their equipment in civilian centers and areas where if the if Ukraine strikes back, you know, they're going to hit hit their own people. And, you know, I have been here for, uh, you know, a hundred and something days. So the majority of the war, I, I, I can say that, like, I am not seeing that Ukraine is systematically firing on its own people. Like Ukraine does hold back and take precautions to not hit things that would endanger its own people. Um, this is, this is, I think something that I think most armies would do, but here, it, you know, it, we can see it in practice. The, there is, there is, uh, Ukraine is not, uh, is not acting like it's, it's not engaging in total war. They're not just, uh, blasting away at, at you know, if, the, if they had been blasting away at Russian positions without card for their own people, the village that I visited would have been, you know, they would have been rubble. Right. I mean the reason we could go to these villages and people that, you know, that it was intact was because Ukraine would not be returning fire where, you know, Russia would put something right in, right in front of a guy's front lawn. So, um, yes, you absolutely do see that. And it, you can talk to people who I'll, I'll post a, a video. Um, I have, a, I, I talked to a man who said exactly that, like, yeah, they would post, they'd post up here so that we would, that Russia, uh, Ukraine's can fire on them. Thank you for that. Thank um, you. Let's. We have questions. I think uh, Walter, if you don't mind, questions yeah, well, from I got one uh, follow-up question, and then we'll go to M and Edian. So the question is: Since Sergio, you're in Kharkiv, um, have you been to Tsirkune or Darhachi? Because these uh, villages close to Kharkiv, they had uh, Russian presence, specifically in the way that you described. They were shielding themselves with civilians and terrorizing the villages and maybe specific areas of Kharkiv that for whatever reason uh, are being targeted in a more significant way like uh, northern Saltivka or Saltivka. Yeah, um, what was the first village you meant? You, I know you said Darachi, but what's Tsirkune. the first one? and uh, Darachi. Tsirkune is to the east of Kharkiv, Darachi is to the north. Okay, and, and uh, no, I have not been to the second one. I have been to Zaraji, and and I was in Zolochev two days ago, um, so that's like to the northwest of Zaraji. Uh, um, uh, what I can say about um, like Zolochev, uh, uh, which is very close to Russia and takes shelling almost daily, is uh, the the I, t I talked to some residents who like that that day they had gotten shelled, and. Uh, these specific guys were like uh, there's a there was like a resiliency honestly to the way like they were just examining their house and they like one guy was just looked at it and said you know suka like uh, we cursed it like like at the damage of it um and I, I talked to a priest there who uh takes in like elderly who can't evacuate and just has this um this he's almost like a war chaplain at this point i mean he has this like i do not fear you know you know rockets you know i will do my duty um and and in, in that town i mean it, it it is 
the resiliency and like the resiliency there is is incredible uh, but overall i don't have the kind of reporting from you know harky that i had for example internet again uh, a lot of what i do here is a lot more um if some if a school gets hit i go out to the school um and kind of talk afterwards but i i i i'm not doing the kind of long uh, reporting yet uh that i didn't uh, turning um some of the areas are still a little difficult to work in um uh and some of that is just that if i spoke russian and ukrainian i i might be able to do that sooner it just it takes me a bit longer because i got to take a translator i got to you know work out longer sit downs and stuff like that thank you um axel to you i believe uh am sure. and waiting and adrian yeah and would you want to go first and then adrian and i have a few questions Yeah, a very quick comment. Uh Sergio, thank you so much for joining us and thank you uh so much for everything you do and thank you as the son of a fire chief for uh bringing up firefighters. And I think it's a theme that can unite every single decent human being throughout the world. We've seen firefighters uh rush into the World Trade Center towers to rescue people and to put out fires. and i don't have uh the information i'm sure walter can speak to that but i'm quite sure that or i hope or maybe uh the firefighters who responded to uh chernobyl were ukrainians so ukrainian fire fighters today who are responding to the vile uh attack i think we lost m or is it just me no we lost no, no. we lost him so i believe the question was about firefighters firefighters and the ones that you have seen in Kremenchuk um or maybe in the other locations that have been struck um by russian missiles in the residential areas if you want to elaborate on that please do Sergio. yeah i will start with my firefighter comment that everywhere around the world i've been that i've talked to firefighters i've noticed that nobody hates firefighters and and uh objectively when you spend time with firefighters I I just I don't know anyone that comes away from that like and just doesn't like it like firefighters all around the world are just I don't know they're they're just incredible people uh and the other half of that joke is that when I talk to firefighters they always like people always say that about us and they don't say this about police and you know I I won't comment further on that but I I I do think that um here what I've seen with firefighters it it reminds me of what I when I was coming uh like wildland firefighters in the United States I mean there's just like this uh very honorable and cool like the crews are just working nonstop and then when they you know when they're like rotate out and take a break you see them like with dusty faces and smoking cigarettes and you know the hard hard clearly hard you know hard life and if you talk to them they'll just offer you a cigarette and crack a joke within a couple of minutes i mean the firefighters here are are just like you imagine them to be uh they are uh brave and and kind of uh highly likable people absolutely uh we'll go back to him because he was disconnected just briefly we'll go to Boris or Nyuki who is currently in Canada but he is originally from Chernihiv the area that you have been reporting from uh Nyuki if you have a question a short one please do ask yeah Walter hello thank you man you know me you 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 remember about yes it's my roots from Chernihiv area and actually i wanted to ask uh, this brave journalist who went there um so what happening now in in this area particularly because i closely follow uh, local groups in Chernihiv area uh, and um 
they actually shifting now power uh, from centralized power of uh, capitals like it was in Soviet time, Soviet time legacy to locals to uh, so-called decentralization in Ukraine. Uh, so this decentralization of uh, power of um, uh, money distribution. So did you have a chance? So who was helping to you? Sorry, I don't remember your name because I was briefly listening, doing something else. Uh, I mean, not briefly listening. I was not carefully listening, but I couldn't. Sorry for that. But who were your facilitators in Chernigov area? Were there people who elected uh, local, um, how you call it, municipal uh, representatives? Or it was military? Yeah. So, uh, so the, on the first part, it'll be a short answer. Um, on U- Ukrainian politics, I'm I'm not even going to speak not because that is not my expertise. That is something that I, the stuff I know, I, I won't even share because it, it 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 would. I don't want to even take up the space on something I'm not an expert in. Right? The, what I am an expert in is a very, very like narrow narrow area, which is uh, I go out to the field and talk to like regular people, civilians most of the time, and I can talk about those experiences and kind of the overall experience of what I've seen doing that for 100 days or whatever. But, you know, for the shifting politics in Trinity, another guest would be better on that. The, the, to your second part of your question, um, who was my facilitators in that area? So I, I work with a fixer most of the time. Um, the fixers I use are from Kiev mostly. When we go up there, usually we don't, because the way I work, um, I don't even need to talk to officials for interviews and stuff because it's, okay. I'm sorry. Okay, sorry, I, I didn't, put, I was sorry to interrupt you. I just precise my question. Mm-hmm. So what is happening there? They were, my understanding, I didn't visit yet this area, mm-hmm. but they were, Russians were targeting specifically this new local elite, mainly. They were searching for those who were mm-hmm. just recently appointed to power by local people. Because that was local, it definitely for them, uh, what they called New Ukraine um, uh, elite, which is not Russian anymore, because they got, grabbed power, not grab, sorry, they got a lot, they got it from people. And money and the control of businesses, uh, it's a so-called decentralization in Ukraine. It's actually very European, um, European um, uh, influence, influenced by Europe. Specify. Yeah. So the question is about whether Russian invaders were targeting uh, civic society leaders, uh, exactly. public officials, or elected yes. officials. Yeah, that's, that's what. The, yeah, yeah, uh, and you're talking about. Uh, yeah, I, I, w- I won't have good information for you on this. I, I, this is not something that uh, I was reporting on. So sorry that it's a you know poor answer, but this would be a better question for another reporter. I, I just don't have good. Uh, I just I don't have enough reporting to answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I won't speak on it. Uh, does that make sense? Thank you. That's uh, very Thank much you. understandable. Um, M, please do shoot your question or next question, then we'll go to Adrian and Bright. Oh, thank you, Walter. It wasn't a question. It was more of a comment. I, I thanked uh, Sergio for everything he uh, is doing and for joining us and giving us his time. And I uh, thank him for bringing up five firefighters because i think it's a theme that we can unite around 
that every single decent human being in the world would appreciate the work of firefighters. We've seen American firefighters rush into the North and the South uh, World Trade Center towers during 9-11. And I said that I don't have information on uh, the firefighters responding to Chernobyl, but I'm assuming that they were Ukrainians. So Ukrainian firefighters today are carrying on with the tradition of putting their lives and their safety uh, back when it comes to the lives and the safety and putting out fires and uh, retrieving Ukrainians and protecting Ukrainians and saving Ukrainians. And uh, I just wanted to thank him for bringing up um, firefighters, Ukrainian firefighters and Ukrainian civil defense uh, uh, personnel, men and women responding. Thank you. Uh, Sergio, if you wanted to comments on that, please do. If not, we'll go to Adrian. Uh, just to say that I, will, I'm, I, the stories I have lined up are going to include more firefighters. So I'm, I will, I will uh, be, I will hopefully be doing some more, some reporting on some firefighters. And uh, they, like, this is awful. But you know, every time we hear about a missile, you, you know that firefighters are now responding to their and putting themselves in danger, uh, especially because of the risk of double tap, right? When one uh, one missile or rocket comes in, it's always the risk that another will follow. You know, firefighters are putting themselves in incredible danger um, and, and working really hard. Uh, when Every time you see those missile strikes, there's a crews of firefighters responding right away and they, they don't stop working sometimes for days, right? Uh, so yes, I... I um, I, I I will be doing some more stories on, on I will be doing some more reporting on firefighters soon. I think. Just briefly on the tangent uh, regarding that shopping mall, because immediately Russian propaganda kicked in. There is a lot of mental gymnastics, and they're trying to position it that oh, we just missed the target. Uh, there was a different target. Have you seen something of a that could be perceived as a target in the area? Because essentially they have struck the shopping mall like a couple of times, and that's it, right? The shopping mall, uh, like the shopping mall that was hit, is clearly a shopping mall, and um, uh, I understand. Like behind it, like uh, like in the area, there are like uh, like you know industrial type buildings, but like we should kind of parse this out here. The shopping mall is a no way because there was there was some some very bad disinformation trying to say that you know I won't even get into it but basically that this shopping mall isn't even a real thing it's there's no people there it's not a real functioning shopping mall it's it's abandoned and, you know when you there, being there there's a lot of people on the sidewalk it's clearly a shopping mall it's clearly like there's apartments across the street that's where I parked my car um, even if the missile missed it you know it doesn't matter like you when you miss and you hit civilians it is still not allowed like you're not allowed to do that stuff that that is against the, the rules of international warfare even when you miss you're supposed to come out and you know you, you, the very first thing is admit it and apologize but it is still wrong i mean just because you miss and you hit civilians it's not like oh well then it's okay no this is why you don't start wars in the first place because people get killed right um that all that being said let's not let's not let's not extend a benefit of the doubt where there really shouldn't be one we have seen enough uh, strikes against civilian centers that uh, the the burden of, of proof is, is on is on them at this point. I mean, there are so many civilian centers, residential buildings, uh, apartments, shopping centers that get hit that any reasonable reasonable person 
would have to come to the conclusion that that at the very best they don't care that it's civilian uh, or that you know that there is a reason they are targeting these things uh, to try to scare people to try to impose uh, fear this is of course uh, president Zelensky's position but i think if you've seen enough of the damages enough of the damage i mean if you go to shop, you go to the shopping mall and you see, i've seen so many shop uh, sorry grocery stores uh, blown to bits that um, it, it, any reasonable person would say this is you know this is clearly a total war they they are they're or close to a total war they are definitely firing on civilian targets yeah of course and this is uh, what was to be expected because that's their uh, mo um talk about total war and its documentation adrian um hello and thank you for uh, your work Uh, I'll try to go through my comment and question really fast because I see Bryce is here and um, he's also a reporter on the ground and I would love to hear the conversation between you. Uh, and I know his signal is patchy sometimes. Uh, so on the topic of firefighters, I had the privilege while uh, working in Ukraine to travel to Chernobyl with firefighters and um, liquidators from Chernobyl for the 30th anniversary. And uh, I even met some young firefighters who are second generation. Their fathers fought against the fires in Chernobyl and now they're firefighters in Kyiv today. So there is definitely a legacy, a memory and a tradition of uh, putting out this great fire, of liquidating Chernobyl, this great tragedy. And uh, I think it's very deeply ingrained in the firefighting culture in uh, Ukraine, at least to my limited experience. Uh, this is a um, question that I've asked actually Bryce on the space a few days back, uh, and uh, he answered it. And I wondered if uh, I, I would like to hear your answer as well, because I ask, ask it to all journalists. To any reasonable person, what is going on in Ukraine now is a genocide, purposefully a program of genocide that is pursued by the Russian government uh, and uh, endorsed by their people. Uh, however, I see a reluctance for Western uh, editors of major publications to call this as a genocide. I see great reporters like you on the ground and like Bryce uh, calling this out, but I don't see it as the main line or a repetition of the editorial policy of some places like The Guardian or New York Times. Could you comment why do you think they're reluctant to call this a genocide and repeat it? Because it is. Thank you. Yeah, it's a, it is a, it's a, it's a comp, it, it, look, it looks like it should be an easy answer. It, it, as a professional journalist and I'm freelance journalist, you know, it is a complicated answer and I'll try to answer it honestly and simply as I can. For me, if I write, uh, if I declare something, right, it, 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 it becomes a question of like, is Sergio Olmos in his estimation calling this a genocide? Because that is, that is, uh, I am an authority, like not at all, right? Like, so, you know, it is kind of more important for me to, you know, relay that if, you know, the president of the US or, you know, or President Zelensky or the UN, right? To relay like the UN says, or Zelensky says this, because, nobody really should care or trust my kind of uh my declaration of like this is or isn't you know i i, I don't you know it, i should not be getting ahead of what officials uh are are saying and so 
that is important because if you know I write something and I, I I kind of kind of have to take my own estimation out of it so that the reader isn't like, well, he says it's this. Is he you know is that his thinking or is that he's is he telling us what like the international community you know officials etc. So I know that's not like that is not like a, a great answer, but the reason for that is if it you know it, when something is declared genocide, it is a major you know it is absolutely significant. I do not want to rob the significance of that by kind of preempting and saying like, well, I, you know, if, if an official is going to say that, then I will put them there and say, this official says that, you know, because they're more, that, that's what's important. Not that I personally tell you that I think it's, does that make sense? Um, uh, it's, and as far as Western newsrooms, like, you know, the big newsrooms not using those language, I, I, I don't want to speak for them, but I do think in general, um, with Ukraine specifically, I, I don't think there is uh, a timidness of calling out what we're seeing. Uh, if, if I was to hear like one of my old editors on this question, they would probably say, hey, go out, talk to people, tell us what happened and let like, you know, let the policymakers, you know, go, go from there. But like, tell us the tragedy. Don't you don't need to tell me it's a it, it, you don't need to say the word tragedy. Just tell me the facts, and I will know it's a tragedy by the facts you convey. And so that's kind of where I come from, if that makes sense. Can I? No, yeah, please. Uh, thank you. It's it makes sense as an answer, and thank you for answering. No, uh, let me just follow up on this. I mean, I said completely okay. I, I appreciate that uh, everybody has his own personal uh, approach to these matters, uh, be it detached or less less so. But uh, as a journalist, if you take a checklist of these very few conditions which represent genocide, which are laid down, and they do different writing, they're simple, they're straightforward. Um, and then, like a checklist, take an Excel spreadsheet, which you and I have, I'm sure, in our lives, handled many, many thousand times. And against that checklist, you contrast what you see as the facts on the ground. Then I think we can come to the conclusion that killing members of the group, point A, you will have found that, right? Uh-huh. Uh causing serious bodily or mental harm to members of the group. You just described this a little bit earlier about that one man, but about many others you have seen the visit, right? Yes. So in C, deliberately inflicting on the group conditions of life calculated to bring about its physical destruction in whole or in part. You just described Kravenchuk, the double tap, shopping malls, Chernihiv, the villages you just visited. I think we could say that it is deliberate, is it not? I, I think uh, th there are certainly enough, many, many cases where it, there is no conclusion that it wasn't like there, there. It would be hard to believe that it was not deliberate. Uh, of course, seeing that a yeah. lot, especially in, and, and in the shelling of these villages is deliberate, right? The area bombardment of villages is deliberate, is it? Yes, when you're seeing you're seeing entire like villages, like you know where, where I just went, where I just where I just came from today. The entire area is being shelled. I mean, uh, it, obviously exactly. they intended to shell you know, that entire area. Then the fourth criteria, imposing measures intended to prevent births within the group. You've already reported on uh, tremendous amounts of rapes and specifically targeting, of course, the Ukrainian female population. I'd say it's fair to say that lots of them are intended in order to disable women giving birth in future and uh, being traumatized for the rest of their lives, correct? Yeah, yeah, certainly. 
Okay, and then the fifth condition, forcibly transferring children of the group to another group. To the extent that you know it, or whether you've been able to report on it, that is something which now Secretary Blinken has even stated, um, that it is the case. But you probably will have heard and seen and reported on stories there as well, right? Yes. So now that means all five conditions, which are part of the definition of genocide, are fulfilled. So essentially, the next time you report on it, you can, taking this simple checklist, call it a genocide. Uh, I, uh, I hear what you're saying. Uh, let me let me try to um, let me try to explain my very weird position that would, does not apply to like a normal human. It only applies in the very strange job of of journalism, which is like an information broker. My, the newsrooms I work for would basically say, give us the information that, give us the facts on the ground and, you know, do not, do not use your own interpretation of like, you know, international law or anything like that. Like that will be left up to kind of someone else because we don't want to taint the information you just brought back. So for me, you know, I will, uh, you know, I will of course include the context of, you know, if, if a sh you know, if an area is getting shelved or something, include that, you know, President Zelensky, you know, is, called this out as genocide and i think that is more important than than for an audience to to think that you know to to i don't want to cite i don't want to pair my opinion to, to president Zelensky and say and sergio I, well. I get i get your i get your concern but let's just face it i just went through with you the five conditions of the un and the icc for that and both given the fact that you are on the ground and have the facts you can establish this easily so I'll, I'll just say this. Uh, we understand uh, what constraints are regarding the, the conditions and the unfortunate realities. And, but we value Sergio's work. And uh, as Axel emphasized, it's obvious what is happening in Ukraine. It's a genocide of Ukrainian people perpetrated by Russians. And uh, that goes without saying. Having said that, Again, thank you, Sergio, so much for all the reporting. Specifically, the stories that you witness and you convey are crucial about the atrocities that Russians perpetrate, about the war crimes that Russians perpetrate, and about the human element of those stories that actually matters, because that resonates with all of us. And uh, I see we have questions in the audience. Let's go with, to with Bryce. Bryce right? yeah. Thank you. Uh, <clears throat> Sergio, I obviously know you in a professional and personal context. And oh, I think, I think we lost Bryce again. It's Twitter uh, giving us uh, Twitter thing. Unfortunately, um, I'm trying to get him back up. Uh, in the meanwhile, we have uh, Yuyuki again. Go ahead, uh, Borg. Yeah, Sergio, thank you uh, for all this um, information and uh, your personal take of it. By the way, I'm from Canada. Canada recognized it officially as a gen uh, as genocide, and Baltic republics too in Europe. Um, so, if you want, if you will need contact with locals, because again, I'm part of many local groups in Facebook. Um, so, let me know, or through Walter, I can try to contact local, you know, uh, acti act people, uh, active people, um, and. Uh, facilitate your research further further because again i my roots from chernihiv region all my roots thank you thank, thank you, you. Uh, I'll, I'll, if i can just uh, kind of follow up because i don't want people to think that i'm intentionally trying to duck the genocide thing it, it, it more goes to the 
it is like in city reporting, for example, when there's a shooting, we don't write murder unless officials, you know, call it a murder, even even when it's like clear, right? Uh, and I have seen I have seen people uh, uh, get murdered, but we can't write that unless an official declares it. You know, this is a murder investigation, and and that's because it's not just a des- describing what's going on, but it's an actual official kind of charge. And so with uh, genocide, it plays it, that is part of it too. Like you know, for an official to call it a genocide, that comes with consequences. There are there are out there are, that triggers things for a country for you know things. It it is a meaningful official stance, and I it is you know I I'm not I think newsrooms in general are don't put that on there because they're not using it as a description. They're using it to convey the information that like this has been declared this. And so that's kind of where it comes from. And I, and I think, I think nobody, if you see, you know, where I am, like I, I do try to talk to people. I do try to go to where people are affected. My personal kind of orientation is if there is tragedy happening, if there is, you know, if civilians are getting killed, I want to go retrieve that information. Uh, the only reason I, 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 you know, I have to work within the constraints of journalism is my, the, the newsrooms I work with, you know, this is how they want things. And I do believe that it, it does uh, it, it does work. I'm able to get information out, and, pe- and people do trust it. And so I work within that. Um, but I don't. I don't. You know, I don't think everybody should. I don't think that makes a better journalist. I just I, again, I'm a freelancer for certain companies, and I have contracts, and I have very clear guidelines of how to you know process information. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. As I said, we understand the constraints unfortunate constraints and we all of us understand the the reality of the things which is it is what it is it is what russians perpetrate in ukraine against ukrainian people and we commend your work and your work by conveying the stories from people who are suffering on the ground let's try bryce again with his question to you okay hopefully i won't disconnect uh Prior to that, I was just singing your laurels. I obviously know you personally and professionally. Grateful for you being here and also doing this. Uh, something I spoke about in the space, I think, uh, yesterday was people being in Ukraine for the wrong reasons. And my question to you is, uh, I know you're working in Kharkiv. Uh, there's someone there that I believe uh, you probably met or worked with, Sarah Ashton Cirillo. Uh, Sarah is a person that I think is in Ukraine for their own ego and to place themselves at the center of the narrative. Uh, All of her content starts and ends with her name. Uh, The ego of focusing on the number of days that she has been in the country, for example, to me suggests that uh, she's kind of removed from the reality of the events here, purporting to be the voice of a, a region yet to the best of my knowledge speaking none or very little russian and ukrainian uh to me would suggest that she would probably struggle to do that uh, reasonably and effectively i'm curious to know your impressions having worked with her or at least interacted with her and uh how you would respond to whatever hey uh uh hey bruce um so i i i won't i won't go into uh, I won't go into that because for a couple, like, it, you know, if I have something negative to say about a person, I'll kind of tell them. 
um, I don't need, I don't want to kind of, uh, you know, this is kind of this, this, you know, well, it's sorry to interrupt you. It's not negativity. I'm asking you your impression of working with this person who seemingly has made themselves the focus of the narrative. Um, well, I, I mean, I, 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 we don't work together. I, I don't, you know, uh, when you, were you with, not together with her when she was filming the person who was killed and you rightfully said out of respect, I'm not going to, uh, show this person's intestines, but show, uh, certainly, sorry. Uh, Sarah had no issues with that. And I believe you're in the background of that video. So you were yeah. there, correct? Yeah. I'll, you know, I'll speak to my decisions. Uh, I, I would not show someone's intestines. Um, that I think, I think every, I think everybody would understand why. Uh, I also thought it was important to say the word intestines because uh, while, you know, you don't, you, it, you don't want to see that it, it is not necessary, I think, to see it uh, or, or, I mean, rather, I think, I, I think showing that is, is out of respect. I did not want to show that, but saying those words for people to think about that this war does mean the blood and guts of people get spilled and it, it it's not glorious. I mean, people die on the street. I mean, th this, this woman, uh, they had told us her, her head had been separated and had landed on a roof. I mean, just absolutely awful. Um, you know, people should know that however uncomfortable it is. I mean, that needs to be known. And, and I, I, I have shown dead bodies, uh, especially, you know, in Bucha, I, I showed, I posted a picture of a man who it appears he had been executed and his corpse was rotting. And I think that showing those images, many photographers have shown absolutely gruesome images on the front page of big newspapers. I think that's important. Um, you have to see the realities of war. Uh, so I, I'll speak to kind of my decisions. Um, uh, sorry, and, I wasn't really using to that to establish the fact that you had worked and been in the presence of Sarah when she was working in the field. So it wasn't so much like I respect your decision and logic there. The reason I pointed that out is because you said that you hadn't worked with her. But obviously, whether it was in an official or unofficial context, you were there with her in the field. So, again, reverting back to my previous point, it was what was your impression of working with this person who, in my opinion, seemingly made the narrative about themselves as opposed to the people around yeah um look when i work with someone like justin we collaborate on stories we're in the same car we you know sometimes share costs we're interviewing the same people uh i have not done that with with sarah um i'm i'm willing to like kind of critique people that i work with that certainly if you know like justin if he does something that i disagree with and it you know and it, it reflects on both of us and i'm willing to own up to that stuff but with people i don't work with i just i do not think in a, if i have a criticism of them i will tell them or something uh, i don't think you know this is not my role as a journalist to kind of like specific people because like, it doesn't um i'm not sure it's in the public interest all right thank For, you uh, JJ, appreciate it sorry right sure. Hey, before yep. you go, just so, I know yeah. I, I know you're in Donbass. I mean, how, I mean, I'm curious, how is it going over there? Uh, actually, right now we're in uh, Kiev, but uh, Guillaume and I returned from Donbass a couple of days ago. Uh, the situation in Siversk, where you uh, graciously enabled us to use the vehicle to deliver aid and stuff, has gotten progressively worse. And uh, as I did when you and I sat in Kiev, I would really encourage you to. 
go to the East for your work and to hear the stories and experiences of people there that uh, I guess the ways they are living and certainly I think we both know people mutually that would enable you to do that but definitely take care because uh, the day that Guillaume and I were both there we were nearly killed. People in the town were working and have been killed in recent days and the fighting is getting closer so I think uh, definitely if you have the opportunity to go there there are many stories for you to explore and again I'll just encourage you to take care and also I reiterate that I have a great deal of respect for you as a colleague and I'm grateful for you being in Ukraine and doing your work. Uh, the, the, the first night me and Bryce were, I was with Guillaume and, and Justin, uh, we, we were in uh, Dnipro, I think, and uh, Bryce would not let me sleep on the couch. We, had one, we didn't have one room, so everyone had a bedroom, but we were shy one room. And I was like, I'll take the couch. And I come back from doing a TV hit. Bryce was already like naked on the couch, basically, would not let, he, you know, he fell on the grenade. He, he was like, no, I'm taking the couch. And this is like the first night I, this is the first day I like meet Bryce, basically, uh, just just falling on the grenade, just like, nope, I, I have declared this couch, you guys take the bedrooms. Uh, and this is after like a, he had spent like 20 hours on an airplane from Australia. I mean, the dude need, needed a bed, uh, like could use a bed, deserved a bed. And he just took the couch. So um, this is Bryce, Bryce, everyone. I appreciate you, man. And uh, I just knew that you needed the rest after hurtling across the step at 140 kilometers an hour. So I'm looking forward to catching up with you again soon, mate. And definitely take care, okay? Thanks, guys. Thank you. Allegedly, thank 140 you for kilometers each other an hour. Allegedly. Okay, let's go to JJ, and then uh, we go to Ed. Thanks, Axel. Um, Sergio, uh, I have a um, statement and a question. Um, I wanted to tell you how impactful it was when you said, here, not for us. I think that that was perfectly put. Um, and the second um, part is a question. And you talked about the man who was delivering food and had the broken down car with um, uh, the flat tire and about uh, the bravery of the Ukrainian people. And I think it's really important to stress that they will not stop fighting for their country. Um, and I'm wondering if you could share another time when their strength and bravery stood out for you. Yeah, I'm thinking of... Uh... Uh, uh, a man in Trinidad who was running humanitarian aid in, in, into Trinidad when it was getting shelled. Uh, I mean, there was a bunch of bunch of people doing that, but the people that we were with, uh, there was this man, uh, Gena, who he, we, to, in order to get to Trinidad at, at that time, you need to go through some villages. And if you looked at like live UA maps, which I'm sure we're all addicted to live UA maps and, you know, Deep State, the other one, uh, you see the red, right? There's like the red means it's contested. There could be Russians there. And so you kind of steer clear of those. Some of the routes we took, the volunteers had kind of coordinated on telegram chats ahead of time. Like, okay, you know, Ukraine has taken back this area. This road is clear. And in the live UA maps, it would still be red because, you know, it, it hadn't come up to open source intelligence yet. Nobody, nobody in, in the, you know, internet knew it was, it was good to, it had been retaken, but but local Ukrainians did, right? And so we would go through those routes and this man, uh, Gena, he had, he, there was a moment where we saw cluster bombs, like just in the field. And he, um, he like stopped. So like we could take a picture, but he's like, okay, you done taking pictures? I was like, yeah. And you know, 
he starts like walking out towards it and like carefully like looking uh, looking where he steps and stuff and he's a veteran uh, older man who you know he had seen some stuff he was a paratrooper and so he knew what he was doing but we were like where are you going and he just had a cigarette and he was like i'm gonna go pick up that cluster bomb i can't just stay there and we were just like what and he p literally picks it out of the field and like puts it on the side of the road so that the eod guys can see it and pick it up and we were just like you know and, and when you see it him picking up a cluster you know it's a, it's the husk it's the spent thing but sometimes they're still attached sometimes there's many times there's cluster bombs you know still in the area in the field unexploded um you know for him to pick it up and put it on the side of the road it, incredibly dangerous um but and it looks reckless if you see it on on video it looks like oh this ukrainian man with a cigarette but you know the, the sense behind it is that that in the field and i, I have re went back recently to go look at that exact spot uh you know the grass has gotten taller uh you know stuff has been you know if that cluster bomb was still there it, it, you might not see as easily um or rather the, if that missile was you know that missile husk was still there you might not see it as easily that the the sense to take it out and put it where the eod guys can see it more easily that he had probably spent more time around explosives than most you know uh you know new soldiers you know he had spent years in the military that he would take the risk that he knows what he's doing to go do that and that you know some farmer wouldn't come upon this on his own you know it's just like this little act that he did that went is thankless like no one's no one's gonna know he did it right i mean we were there but you know for him it was just like obvious like i know how to watch my steps i'm gonna go take this bomb out i'm not gonna wait for some eod guy to do it you know and that that little thing it's an incredible thing to watch um and for him it was just like a normal it's part of his character um and we had you know i've seen him do other incredible things and just not get scared during shelling or you know uh, we were driving in the middle of the night and a flare went up between russians were still on one side of the road and ukraine had the other side and flare went up in the middle of the woods and we were all like scared like ah uh, this is not good like flares are never good like you don't want to flare flare does not mean anything good and he was just, you know, call, you know, cool as a cucumber. And that kind of thing is, um, uh, it's incredible to see. Welcome to Ukrainian Courage. Does that answer the question? I don't know if that was the, the answer to your absolutely. question. Yep, absolutely. But, thank you. Thank you, Sergio. Uh, M. Very quick comment. What's happening, is, uh, what's happening in Ukraine is as clear as day, right? So given the fact that... This is real life. It's not a simulation. A lot of professionals will have to do what they need to do, and they will have to abide to whatever restrictions and guidelines uh, and protocols imposed on them by their employers and uh, by their profession. So I think Sergio is doing a great job, and I think any reporter who is on the ground in Ukraine right now reporting what's happening. And sadly or not, they have to uh, stick to whatever guidelines being provided to them by their newsroom or the, by their editors are not targets. That's number one. Number two, it goes to proper analysts, real analysts. We have to keep it real because what's happening in Ukraine is clear and Ukraine is winning. And the Russians have failed to achieve any strategic victories. And, you know, while granted they are making some advances in the disinformation and the information sphere, but still, I think we should, you know, slightly go easy on people who are on the ground in Ukraine doing their job, because it is a job, 
and they have the passion for truth and they want to get the message out. They will not be able to satisfy everyone and anyone, but we should make a clear distinction between people who are doing their job and people who are not doing their job. And I think Sergio is doing his job. So over the last 45 minutes or so, I think that Sergio kind of came under attack and I don't think it's productive for the space and I don't think it's productive for Ukraine and I don't think it's productive going forward. Anyone who is supporting the cause of Ukraine, whether they are Ukrainians or not, should always focus on the truth because the truth is the pillar of consistency and consistency is what will win this war. Consistency is what will maintain the higher moral ground and consistency is what will reverse the Russian illegal invasion of Ukraine. Thanks, Sam. Um, yeah, as I stated earlier, what matters is just conveying the stories. This is where Sergio does just an excellent job. And it, it doesn't take much. I mean, you, you just have to spread the, the message, spread the narrative and tell the stories. <laughs> the stories are horrendous by themselves. That's the unfortunate reality. Um, if there is something else specifically regarding what you have seen in Ukraine and touched you personally, Sergio, deeply and you wanted to share please do yeah uh there's a there's a few things um the, I, i've talked about this kind of thing before but the uh, just the idea of the ordinary inside you know occurring inside the the extraordinary uh continues to amaze me um there is the example of like even in kiev someone making your latte who does not rush because, or you know shake their hand because there's an air raid siren that carefully imposes the little design on the latte. I've thought often like, why does, does, does this still matter? Like, why would it matter that you make the design on the latte? Like it's war, you know, why do you do that? And, but it, it, it very much matters. And the quiet, like the, the quiet dignity and like not uh, hurrying up or not, uh, not taking your craft seriously just because, you know, the Russians are, are sending a missile. It's this little act of like humanity and defiance that I see all the time. I mean, the one thing that I noticed like when I first came here was when I, w when I wasn't here, when I was just like watching, you know, on the news like everyone else, I, I kept thinking about, you know, President Zelensky and like, man, that's incredible bravery, you know, being out there like just in a Kevlar, you know, walking around and, and I, you come to Ukraine and what you realize very quickly is like, oh, like everybody here is like that like you know everybody is making that choice here um uh, even like the guy selling sneakers he's like you know he comes to work every day to sell sneakers under the threat of of a missile and and his you know the, the store is pristine and the service doesn't drop off and you're just like this is incredible i, I the hard version of this is uh you know the the garbage drivers here continue to pick up garbage during shelling uh, this is yeah i'm gonna hang out with some hopefully uh this week um, my father was a garbage driver for 35 years for waste management. And um, I, I think often about like the parallels of, you know, my father doesn't speak English, third grade education, drove a garbage truck uh, to support, you know, we're Mexican, uh, uh, drove a garbage, you know, came to this country, drove a garbage truck to support a family, would come home every night, you know, smelling like garbage, and he would shower, put on cologne, comb his hair, 
just to eat dinner and then go to sleep. Like, you know, very long shifts. And I just always thought like, why would you put on cologne like for dinner at home? Like that doesn't make any sense, but it was to make himself distinct. Like I am not dirty. I do a dirty job. And here in, in Ukraine, I've just thought about that often with people showing up to work and, you know, the kind of putting on cologne, like the garbage drivers continuing to do it when they could not, right? They don't have to go, but they do. Uh, or again, choosing to open up your coffee shop and serve people so that they could feel some bit of normalcy and, and taking the effort to make that design in the latte. You know, it's the idea of like putting on cologne, like like the distinction, like I am, you know, I am, uh, I, you know, I have the humanity. I, I'm not giving that up just because.